Amen. Praise the Lord. Children, you're dismissed to your junior church time. Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. I just feel numb after seeing that. I'm shaking. What a message. What a God. Speaking of numb, I will tell you a story really quickly, and it has nothing to do with the message, but uh, you enjoy laughing at me, so I'll go ahead and share it. I was, uh, when we traveled back from Texas, the way we did it was my wife drove to Indianapolis, and uh, she spent a day or two with Austin, who's serving an internship there at Southeast Baptist Church, and then from there, she flew to Texas, and I flew to Texas and met her there. And then we flew back to Indianapolis, and then we drove from there. And so we drove from Indianapolis to Ohio, and then we drove from Ohio to New York the next day, or I guess it was a day, two days later, and then we uh, spent a couple days with Emily and Matthew. So it was good to see them. Everybody's doing well. While we were in Ohio, we were with the Claytons, Phil and Sharon Clayton, and uh, dear friends of ours, and we went to, there's a lot of markets around there, very big Amish community. And so we went to a market, and the markets in the States are different than here. And they have guns and all kinds of things out there that we don't see in Canada very often. And there was a table full of these flashlights. And I saw these flashlights. And one was a great big mag light. And it said, police flashlight. And I thought, oh, that's kind of neat. So I, I picked it up. And I was just looking at stuff, you know. And I picked it up. And I held it. in my. It was long. So I had it in this hand, in this hand. And I went and I flipped the switch on it. And it wasn't a flashlight. It was a taser. And my arm flew back, and I screamed, and my arm was numb for a half hour, my hand was numb for about an hour, and my finger was burnt for about two days. And my wife wasn't there to see it, and she asked if I would do it again. And, <laughs> but, uh, and then the fellow got mad at me, and I said, well, maybe put a sign on it, because kids are picking these up, you know, and it didn't say anything. It said flashlights, and it wasn't a flashlight. So he said, you're lucky it wasn't fully charged, or you'd be in an ambulance right now, so... Praise the Lord. I knew you enjoyed laughing at me, so we'll go ahead and share that real quick. Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. That'll teach you not to touch things, won't it? Real quick. Genesis chapter 16. God is good, and it's good to see everybody. I can't tell you how many times one person over here would say, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while while they're in the other service. They're at 10.30 or 11.30 or whatever. We had so many different services over the last year and a half. And so now you get to look across the room and see one another. And I hope you'll take advantage of that and talk to one another. Fellowship with one another. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. Sometimes I'll, I'll get up and I'll say, let's pray for so-and-so. And I'll see puzzled looks on people's faces. And they'll say, who's that? And you'll see them talking to each other. Do you know that name? And I thought, wow, they come to church here for 30 years and you don't know their name. So let's, let's take advantage of that. We've been separated for so long. Let's, let's learn one another, all right? Let's get together in fellowship and learn one another. Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. You know, God shows grace to everyone. The Bible says that his grace is all sufficient. We just need to take advantage of it. The Bible says we're saved by grace, for by grace are ye saved through faith. We understand that it's but by the grace of God that we understand what salvation is and that we have a part in his eternal kingdom because of the grace that is shown upon us through the cross of Calvary. 
We sang a lot about that this morning, about the blood and about the cross and about his grace. And I want to direct you to a portion of scripture today where somebody received grace that you might say, well, they really didn't deserve it. They're outside the the realm of God's covenant in a sense. Now, we haven't had the Abrahamic covenant yet. We haven't yet had uh, the Jewish nation. And yet, God had put his hand upon Abraham and called him forth out of the land of the Ur of the Chaldees. And so there was some sort of relationship established, but this woman, Hagar, was not part of that relationship. And yet, God showed her grace. And so let's look at the word of God today in Genesis chapter 16. The Bible says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him... No children. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Let me read verse 4 again, and then we'll read verse 5. And I ask you to take special note to who is despising who. It's an important part of the story. And he went in, Abram went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw, Hagar saw that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarai, was despised in her eyes. I remember years and years ago as a child misreading that and thinking that Sarai had despised Hagar because she was able to have children and Sarai wasn't, but it's not the case. The Bible says Hagar despised Sarai. We're going to look at that in a moment. We'll try to understand why. Verse 5. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abraham said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou, God, seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Birlahoroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. 
Our Father, we love you. We do thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows, Father, who gave so much that we might have eternal life. Father, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be sure our focus is always on him. And Lord, through your son, Jesus Christ, you might receive glory, honor, and praise. Father, we come to your word now, and we ask that you would allow the Holy Spirit to teach us and show us what this passage has to say. I pray you burn those principles deep within our hearts and we might understand afresh and anew the grace of God today. Lord, I need your help, and so I ask for your filling. I surrender to whatever you'd like to do. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 16 and verse 1 tells us that Hagar, who was a mistress to Sarah, a handmaid, was an Egyptian girl. It is very likely that when Abraham and Sarah went and fled down into Egypt, that they met other people and, of course, likely picked up this Hagar along the way and hired her to be Sarah's handmaid. When they returned into Israel, they brought her with her and understand Hagar's circumstance. She had to leave family behind. Perhaps she had come from a poor family. The Bible really doesn't say, but she took this job out of necessity. I don't imagine anybody would leave family and friends and home for a job of this magnitude if if it was not a great need in their life. So Hagar would travel back into Canaan land, and there she would stay with Abram and Sarai, as they are currently called, and she would serve Sarai as her handmaid. Well, we come into a real strange situation. I, 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 it is strange to us, but I suppose maybe it was more common in their day, but it just doesn't seem very moral at all. You all know the story that Sarah lacked in her faith. God had promised that he would give her a child and that their offspring in total would number more than the sands by the seashore and the stars in the sky. God had just given them that promise in Genesis 15. And yet already they had forgotten. Sarai's faith, because it lacked, and the Bible says because she bare Abram no children, she decided that she would give Hagar to Abram to be his wife and she could bear children in her stead. How many of you see a problem already? We're going to get to that problem in just a moment. But I want, I want to share you this story with you this morning in, in maybe a little different way. And I, I've said this as my first point. Think about this. I call it a familiar story. You said, this isn't familiar. Pastor, not one person in this congregation has ever experienced anything like this. There's, there's not a wife in this room, even if she were barren for 20 years, would never go and find another woman for her husband and say, we will have children by this surrogate. Perhaps we'll adopt. Perhaps we'll find another way, but we're not going to enter into this immoral type of situation that we see in Genesis chapter 16. This is not a familiar story. As a matter of fact, this is a rare occurrence. This is something that should never be mentioned among God's people. We should not practice this kind of behavior. But I want you to notice some things that I believe make it a familiar story. Notice, first of all, there were some frustrating circumstances. Have you ever been frustrated? Think about what the Bible is saying here about Sarah and her circumstances. We notice in the scriptures here, if you'll begin in verse 2 with me, the Bible says, or sorry, verse 1, 
The Bible says that Sarah, Abram's wife, notice that phrase right there, bear him no children. We see, first of all, if we're thinking about frustrating circumstances, Sarah was suffering reproach. There are several other times in the word of God that when a woman could not bear a child, she says, I am suffering reproach. Give me children lest I die, Rebecca would say. Remove my reproach among women that I might have a child. Sarah was suffering reproach. It was a frustrating circumstance for her. But more than that, we see what added to her frustration that Sarah was supernaturally restrained. The Bible says in verse 2, And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, the Lord hath restrained me. You know, there are some things in this life that will not come to pass unless God gets involved. God had supernaturally restrained Sarah. She says, the Lord hath done this. This somehow is God's plan. He has promised children, and yet he has made me barren. She couldn't understand. But God's ways are not our ways. And so you can see the frustration mounting, can't you? The Bible says, first of all, that she bear him no children. And so part of the frustration was that Sarah was suffering reproach. She was supernaturally restrained. And we understand that there are just some obstacles in this life that cannot be overcome without the providence of the Lord. But here's something I believe that made it worse and made it more frustrating. Sarah was steadily reminded. Notice verse 3. It says, And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years, in the land of Canaan. I highlight those words, 10 years. A lot of time had passed. God has said on more than one occasion that he'd give them a child, but 10 years have passed. God had said when he called them out of the earth of the Chaldees that he'd make of them a great nation, but 10 years have passed. I would imagine that in this entourage of people, Abram had his family with him, Lot, and and their family, and and Sarah, over 10 years, is seeing other women conceive and give birth to children, and, and the family is growing all around her, but for 10 years, she is steadily reminded that she can't have children, and she knows it's of the Lord. The Lord has restrained her from bearing well, this is a frustrating circumstance. And I, I mentioned a few minutes ago, this is a familiar story. And you say, no, I, I can't picture this in our lives. I can't picture this in our church. I can't even picture this in our society. But how many of you have had some frustrating circumstances build in your life over time? Notice, not only do we see frustrating circumstances. Notice, notice what the scripture says as we move forward. We see, secondly, a faithless choice. A faithless choice. Here's the problem. We all get frustrated from time to time. Circumstances frustrate us. How many of you have been frustrated by COVID? Yeah? I I was just talking to the Strackens, and I I, I would imagine you're a bit frustrated you can't see your grandbaby. It's frustrating. Uh, You want to see those babies. You want to see those children. And my wife and I, we were a bit frustrated. We couldn't see our kids, and and Austin couldn't come home for the summer. It, It just... It's the circumstances we find ourselves in. And so we jump through all the hoops that we'd be able to go and see them. And, but that frustration builds. And in the life of Sarah, it led to a faithless choice. You see, when we get frustrated over things and circumstances don't go our way, 
we start pushing things to make them go in our favor. We start charging through doors that God has closed, and we start trying to find another way around the obstacle that God has put in his way by, our, by his providence. And so she makes a faithless choice. The Bible says in verse 2, As Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold, no, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. I really struggle, to be honest with you, at this point in Abram's life to understand him. Abram hearkened to her voice. He never said, no, that's not the moral thing to do. God has said that you will have a child. God has said he will make us a nation that will, that will outnumber the sands of the seashore. But Abram hearkened unto her voice. Later on, she would, hearken, she would complain again to Abram about Hagar. And he says, she's in your hand. Do whatever you want. Even if it's not the right thing. If I can just say it, Abram, though he may be a hero of the faith, is a bit of a wimp in Genesis chapter 16. He's caving under the pressure of this wife that is hurting and I think that at times we've all been there we see our family and our loved ones suffering and they're frustrated and we cave in and we make a faithless choice we make a bad decision Abram never said well you know what we ought to do we ought to fast and pray about that for a little while why don't we ask God why you're barren why don't we seek his face Why don't we plead with him? And then you'll find, if you'll read on in the Bible, in Genesis 17, Abram does just that. He pleads with God for a child of his own. He says, my heir is Eliezer from Damascus. He's not even one of mine own house. And God said, no, he will not be your heir. There will be a son that comes forth out of your loins. And God renews his promise with being even more specific. But until then, they would make choices out of a lack of faith. This is a cautionary tale. When we're frustrated, we ought to be careful not to push through what God has placed in our path, but instead wait upon the Lord and pray and fast and seek his face. But Sarai did none of that. And so she said to Abram, let's have a child with Hagar. I'll give her to you to be a wife. And understand it was a, a polygamous society. And so many, oftentimes men would have more than one wife. And so for them, maybe it didn't seem so odd. But for Abraham, now the chosen of God, it should have. Because God said that one man and one woman was from the beginning. That was his plan. Notice we see secondly this morning, We've related to you a familiar story of frustration and a lack of faith. But notice verse 4, we see secondly a family squabble. How many of you saw that coming? <laughs> how many of you knew? Mike, how long have you been married now? Two years? Two years in June, right? How many of you knew? How, 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 you're reading this story with me. You've only been married two years. How many of you, you already know that this is, this is going to cause a problem, right? Bringing another woman home, having a child with her. I mean, come on. Uh, how many of you single men can see the problem? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand there's going to be a squabble. There's going to be a problem here. And just notice what it is. And think about this. I, I told you earlier that when I was in Sunday school and I remember thinking, well, yeah, Sarah, she's jealous and she despised her. No, no, it's the other way around. The Bible says Hagar despised Sarah. He said, well, she got to be upset about I suppose Hagar was like any other little girl growing up in Egypt. She dreamed of the day she'd get married. 
not to an 85-year-old man, but to somebody she grew up with and loved. She dreamed of starting a family of her own, not one that she would have to give that child to another woman. She was treated like a slave, abused and given away in marriage, which might have been the Mideastern culture, but not the Egyptian culture. All her hopes and dreams have been taken away. And on that day, Hagar was given to Abram, and she went into his tent, and she conceived a child. And when she came out, she looked at Sarah, and she despised her. Because Sarah had taken everything from her. Everything she had dreamed of. Hagar's the victim in this story. So often we look at Abram and Sarah, but don't you forget about Hagar. She was despised. And so we see Hagar's response as one of being uh, despising Sarah. But we see that there's also a harsh rebuke. The Bible said in verse 5, And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid in thy bosom. And when she saw that she conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. uh, Sarah's almost coming across to Abram like, I don't know what's going on here. Why is she so upset with me? What have I done? You ruined her life is what you've done. You've destroyed her dreams. She wants a family. She wants a husband. And now she's playing nursemaid to your child. And she despised her. So she says to Abraham, what should I do? And he says, she's in your hand, verse 6. But Abraham said unto Sarah, behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dwelt hardly with her, She fled from her face. So we see Hagar's response, but we see a harsh rebuke when Sarah dealt hardly with her. Isn't it funny that when Hagar was the one offended, yet it was Sarah who dealt hardly with her? That's often the case, isn't it? We get hurt and we go to somebody. We're frustrated, we're hurt, and we go to somebody and they rebuke us. Hagar did all she needed to do. She fled into the wilderness. The rebuke was such that it hurt her even deeper. And she felt like there was nothing left for her in the home of Abraham. And so she, the Bible says she fled into the wilderness. Essentially, Sarai was telling Hagar, grow up. You have no right to be offended. But Hagar did. So she flees into the wilderness. But here's what I want you to focus on this morning. We've talked about We've talked about a familiar story, and we've talked about a family squabble. But notice, here's the most important part of the story, a father's sympathy. A father's sympathy. How many of you are thankful for a God whose mercies are new each day? Well, I tell you what, you mess up, but you go to bed and you wake up to brand new mercies. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Listen, we we need to understand that when we, when we have these kind of struggles in our lives, and, and listen, let me ask you, I'm not going to, don't raise your hand, but let me ask you, how many of you had a family squabble from time to time? How many of you have been frustrated by the circumstances of life, especially the last year and a half? All the things that have been going on and, and, and we're kept apart from the ones we love and we, we haven't been able to meet in church regularly. We haven't been able to do a lot of things that we normally do and we get frustrated and our frustration boils over and we lash out at people. I'm here to tell you there's a God who still loves you. I liked when we were singing Great is Thy Faithfulness, there were some words that just jumped out at me. 
Thou changest not. Isn't that something? A lot of us have changed in the last 17 months, but God hasn't. Thy compassions, they fail not. We have a God we can trust because great is his faithfulness. But notice the father's sympathy. Verse 7, the Bible says, we know that Hagar has been driven out and she's run out into the wilderness. And the Bible says, the angel of the Lord. Notice, notice the importance of the words here. It doesn't say an angel of the Lord. It says the angel of the Lord. You say, what is the difference? There are times in the scripture we'll see an angel or an angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is an appearance of Jesus Christ before he was made flesh. This is God's spirit, the son of God, coming down to minister to people. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord came to her, sent by the father, no doubt. And in the Bible says, we notice some things about him. In verse 7, and the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain the way to sure. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and thou shalt bear a son and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. I want you to notice two things. First of all, I want you to notice his loving eyes. His loving eyes. The Bible says in verse 7, he came to her in the way of sure. Can I tell you this tonight? This mor- it's morning, isn't it? Can I tell you this this morning? You're never out of the sight of God. She could run from the presence of Abraham and she could run from the presence of Sarah, but she could never run out of the sight of God. The Bible tells about his loving eyes. It says in verse 7, And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain to the way of Shur. And this told her that he was interested in her. I just want to encourage you this morning to remember that we have a father who is sympathetic to those things that we've been going through. And he loves us very much. And we've never been out of his sight even for one moment. When, we're, when you're quarantined in a house and you're all by yourself and you're discouraged. When you had to be laid off work for a short time. I want you to know this. God never lost sight of you. He knows right where you are. His loving eyes have noticed you, and he went to her, and she, he was interested in her. But notice verse 13 and 14, she was impressed by him. Notice what it says in verse 13. And she called the name of the Lord that spoke unto her, Thou God seest me. It impressed her so much that he would find her by the way of sure. He says, I've got a name for God, the God that sees me. Somebody might have asked Hagar years later, Hagar, what, what, what is the name of the God that you worship? It's the God that sees me. Really? Because we have gods of wood and stone and idols of our own making. We have a temple over here in Greece to Diana. and We have temples in Athens and we have all kinds of different things and We have Dagon the God and we have Molech and we have all these different gods. We have Baal that we worship. None of them see us. They're just stones and brass and silver and gold. No, no, no. My God sees me. How do you know? Because he came to me. I was running and he found me. 
It impressed her so much that that was her name for God. The God that sees me. She even named that place, that big funny word you see in verse 14, Birla Haroi. Birla Laroi. The place where God sees. You're never out of his sight. He was interested in her. She was impressed by him. Notice secondly, though, I, I see his loving eyes, but I also see his listening ears. The Bible says in verse 8, And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. Do you know why God asks these questions? He said, well, he asks questions like we ask questions because we want answers. No. God doesn't need answers. God has all the answers. God asked a question because he wanted her to reveal her heart. Was she willing to open her heart and say what was going on? And she learned at that moment that God is a God who listens. He doesn't just see. He doesn't just have loving eyes, but he has listening ears. He prompts her to reveal her heart. But notice he pleads with her to reconcile in verse 9. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. He pleads with her to reconcile, but he promises her a reward. God says, I'm the God that hears. Hagar said, he's the God that sees. What a God that we serve. Here's what we can pull from this passage. Hagar found herself in an impossible situation, didn't she? Can you imagine? How old do you suppose she was? Probably a teenager when she started serving. Maybe now in her early 20s. She's returned to... Canaan, and she's been there a few years, and now she's given to an 85-year-old man to be his wife. What a horrible, scary situation for a young girl. She finds herself with child, but she also finds that Sarai, his first wife, is very angry towards her. And she despised Sarai, so she's driven out into the wilderness. But there she meets the God who sees and the God who hears. And he says this, Hagar, you're in a bad situation, but I want you to know I'm going to bless you. Go back, reconcile, submit yourself. It's not a great situation. It's not what you dreamed of. But if you'll just go and be obedient, I'm going to make a great nation out of your son Ishmael. See, God always sees us in our circumstances. doesn't matter what we find ourselves in the midst of. God sees and God hears. I'm reminded of the story of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, and he wasn't there yet. The Bible says the disciples got into a boat, and they began to go to the other side. Jesus had told them to go to the other side. And the Bible says that throughout the night, they began to toil in rowing because... It was such a difficult storm. But Jesus standing on the shore could see them. Don't miss that little part of scripture. Before he walked to them, he could see them. Have you ever been to a, down to Lake Erie when it's storming? There's times where you can't even see the lighthouse. You can hear it. 
when the fog rolls in and the waves start crashing and the storm is blowing, you can't see very far. I remember standing out there in 1984 when the Stanley Clipper went down. I, we, that day we had been helping our principal, Mr. Daly, take some chairs down the Lighthouse Festival Theater. There was going to be a presentation for the school, and it was terribly windy. And he said, boys, there's a storm and some ships are not getting in. Let's go down to the dock and just have a look. And we went down there, and people were out there just trying to see, watch for their loved ones. And some never made it home. You couldn't see the end of the pier. But Jesus on the Sea of Galilee knew right where his disciples were. And he walked out and got into the ship. And the water was still. He sees and he listens. What more do you need than a God that cares about you that much? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. God has spoke to your heart. This altar is open even now. Daniel's going to begin to pray. I encourage you to stand to your feet this morning. And let me ask you, do you know God like Hagar knew God? Do you have that relationship with him that you just have that name, whatever it might be? The God who sees, the God who loves me, the God who cares about me, the God who shows me mercy. He's not just some far off God, he's your father, Abba Father. And maybe there's one here say, Pastor, I'm not sure I know him. I don't have that intimate relationship with him. That's why Jesus died on the cross. To reconcile man to God. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. That's a penalty we cannot afford to pay. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, well, are you saying I'm a sinner? No, the Bible says we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says this. Don't miss it. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price for your sins. And the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, who himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. We can help you meet this God today, this God of sympathy and compassion and love and mercy and grace. Is there one say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. That's just a Bible word for knowing you're on your way to heaven, that you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, that your sins have been forgiven. We can show you what the Bible says about eternal life through Jesus Christ. But as one I could pray for, I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. Would you slip up your hand? I promise I won't embarrass you. Is there one?